Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning? We know that we've been, these last couple weeks, been going through this journey uh, that Christ did to the cross. That we've been taking this path, and we know where the path ends up, right? That the path ends up with our Savior hanging on the cross. But we also know that the story really, truly doesn't end right there either. And we look forward to the hope, the promise, the life that is brought of, through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 27. Look through this first gospel. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, if you would read with me. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear my Father, Lord, we pray that we continue to show reverence for your word, Lord that it is written in our minds and our hearts, Lord, but it is transformative in our lives, that it is not written to be words on a page, but a life lived, changed. Lord, we thank you for the written word. We thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ, in our lives, Lord. We are so grateful that you have given to us such a wonderful, wonderful gift. And we just give you honor and praise today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Some passages in this say, Eloi, Eloi. Some say, Eli, Eli. There's some misunderstanding, some things that we may not fully understand here. But this has come to a point in the story. Come to the point in the story that that darkness in these three hours that is shown here, there's a darkness. We see almost a reversing, that we see a chaos coming back into the story, an undoing of what God has brought in order. But this is bringing to a point that God is going to do something big. That God is going to do something great. God is going to do the work that He has promised from the beginning We have come to a point where God himself has come, humbled himself, put himself on this cross. And then we get to this very odd passage. When we think about it, we may have wrestled with this passage. You may have wrestled with this passage many, many times, right? My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Now, what the problem we have here is that God is what promised to each of us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, right? So we have this problem, this theological problem, when you read this, that something about this doesn't make sense. Now I'm going to tell you, I've listened to a pastor before, in classes and in different times and many times, that is put into this perspective and this thought that God cannot be with evil, he can't look upon evil, right? That God can't be this, so so that God, in some way, is turning his back. That he is forsaken. That he's turning his back on Jesus, because in this moment, Jesus has taken on the sin of the world. I don't think we have any idea of the grandeur of that statement, of that act that he is taking. Can you imagine? Not just 
I can't even imagine all the sin that I have placed upon him, let alone all the people in this church, let alone all the people in this world, let alone all the people in this world over the history of time, that each and every in the multitude and the conglomeration of all that sin that is heaped and taken upon Jesus at this very moment. And we come to this point where he is, says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And for the longest time, you know, I really just thought that, and see that preacher I was talking about was me. I'd thought about this one way a long time. I've been taught in several places, but I've heard different things. But that, that, you know, God cannot look upon sin. God can't be, well, you know what? I don't believe that to be true. And even in this passage, I'm going to jump ahead and we'll, we'll break it down a little bit. So, you know, I'm, hopefully you, you don't think I'm crazy at the end of this. But I don't believe that God has forsaken Jesus Christ in this passage. We've heard that, you know, he had to take on our sin. And once he takes on our sin, that then God cannot be a part of that, that he can't look upon that, that he is separated, that, that Jesus is separated from him at that point. And that's kind of where I had thought, taught, believed. But the more I have really allowed this scripture to speak to me and looked into the history and looked into more of this scripture, I just don't believe that to be the case. Now, if you at the end of this sermon still think that, that's fine. I think there's mysteries of God and there's things that we can't understand, but I want to share my own heart of this passage because it has always bothered me. I, I've seen and read this scripture. I, I've put it, I've spoken, I've committed it to memory and many times brought it back. And, and to me, this is what Jesus has done. Jesus has committed this scripture to his memory. Now you think about this scripture comes from, we're going to go through Psalm 22. We're going to go through a little bit of the history of what he is actually calling upon in this scripture, right? But he has put that, and I think about how important is that scripture, how important is that psalm that Jesus, at his moment of death, you think, hmm, wonder what went through Jesus' mind when he went to that point. We don't have to wonder that. The scripture has told us what is going through his mind at that time. Praise God. So we see here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and we can think, I'm sure all of us in here could think of many instances. We have a lot of inside jokes, right? In your families, in your work, and other places that if you draw upon, if you just say these few little words, it means a whole lot more. Okay, now I'm going to tell you a horrible one. It's a terrible one, but it is, it is reality, it is truth, and it's a little bit silly. But I, I have some wonderful friends when I was growing up, and we were teens, and, and one of their girlfriends was there. We had just watched a, a, just a great movie about kickboxing and all this stuff. So you get a bunch of teens that just watch it. They're a little bit charged up, right? And so he's just playing around, and he kind of kicks up at his, his girlfriend, right? She grabs his foot, right? Oh, don't do that. So she grabs his foot, and he's thinking, oh, I'm just going to replay a couple of these scenes. And he tries to kick it. He thinks he's just going to, like, play kick, and you probably see where that's going. He kind of caught her across the face with his foot, okay? This is bad, okay? Now, I want to tell you in this part of the story, she was fine. 
It was unintentional. She did forgive him. And they are still married now 30 years later. So she did forgive him. It is okay. Don't do that. There's a good example. Do not do this in your relationships. Did you hear that? That's a bad thing. Don't ever do that. Unintentionally, intentionally, it doesn't matter. It does, it's not a good thing. But see, whenever any of us that saw that and were there hear the words, different words about that story, do, do we have to tell the whole story? No. <laughs> Just, you remember that kick? Oh yeah. It tells the whole story. We don't have to tell the whole story. And I believe we have a picture of this right here. That Jesus, when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's not really just saying that. And you have to know that whole passage to know where it's going. Now the other part of this, theological thinking. Can you think of put your theological hats on for a second? Do we believe that the Trinity is, is real? That's where you nod your heads up and down, right? I want to hear, everybody say, I want to hear all the, the rocks rattling, okay? I want to hear the rocks rattling. We believe in the Trinity, right? We believe that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are one. That they are not separated, right? So do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we believe that Jesus is God? Yes, of course we do, I hope. Okay. He is speaking God the Father. Why can you... God does not forsake God. Does that make logical sense to us? No. <laughs> it doesn't. He's not turning his back because... He can't because he is God. Now, in his humanity, in his moment... Here, it is not that he... He just... He's feeling because he is human... He has the same ones. He is in pain. He is sorrowful. He has an overwhelmingness, a heaviness, this darkness that has come over this place. And it makes him think, more than ever, I need you. Whatever you're going through today, you may feel like God has forsaken you. But hear me if you hear nothing else. God has not forsaken you. He is with you today and every day. Now can we go back? Can we put this into some of this context? Can we go back to Psalm 22? If you would turn, I'm, it, it's a little bit longer, but I, don't, I want to read enough of this. I want to read, and we're not going to go through every line, but I want us to hear enough of this to pull, be able to let into the story that Jesus is giving us, that the reason that this is what crosses his mind when he is literally at the point of death. Psalm 22 begins, guess how? <laughs> My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, he's remembering, he's telling, I want to know, I want to draw upon this psalm. I want to draw upon this truth. I want to draw upon who you are. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Now, does he ever leave us there? The answer is no, friends. It is no. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted. And you delivered them. 
See, we see that there's more to this. We see that it is not a place of desperation that has no hope. It's a place of desperation that has hope and promise. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. You think he may have had some of those feelings right that day? With what is going on, we've been talking about the mocking that they have been doing to him. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Do we need to repeat what we've had the last couple weeks? This is, this is exactly what he has been going through. They've been mocking him, saying, If you are the Son of God, take yourself down. Save yourself and save us in a mocking way. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Skip down to verse 14. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth has dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. You think he might have been thinking about this? But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. Revere Him, all you descendants of Israel. For He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. We have been afflicted before. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then this last part that we're going to read for today, in this, the second part of verse 24, He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Praise God. Man, is he good. I don't believe. I said, I went down that path, but I just don't think that God can be in the presence of sin. You know, because what? We believe in the omnipresence of God, right? We've said that before. We believe that God is everywhere. We believe he's in us. Well, if we believe he is in us and he's in this world, then he can be in the presence of sin. I think that's actually pretty clear. He can look upon it, but guess what? It does not change him. It does not change his glory. The the darkness might come, but we know there is light that is coming that will overpower that darkness. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land but it will not remain. 
They mocked him more when some of those standing there heard this. They said, he is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar. His mouth was parched. They put it, and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Most of, the, most of the gospels bring about this part of the story. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. We don't know for sure. Some people would preach this, that, that they were having finally some compassion on a person that they beat, drugged through, put up on a cross, and were killing. And some would say, you know, they offered this up because they knew the scriptures a little bit. They offered this up, and they said, here, now, you know, once you receive this vinegar, once you receive this, that, that now he's calling on Elijah. That, oh, bring Elijah. Make Elijah come and save him. They, they didn't actually believe that Elijah was coming. But see, this is Jesus. He says, I don't need Elijah. <laughs> I am that I am. My Father is the Father. I don't need these things. All I need to do is to go back and remind myself in the darkest, in the most painful of places, you do not forsake me. You do not turn your face from me. You do not leave me alone. You will deliver me. You will save me. That is the God that loves us and that is there and that continues to be there. I feel fired up today. I love it. He is good to me. He has been so good to me. Then we get to the point in the scripture as when Jesus, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He turned himself in trust over to God's will with the hope and the promise, with the knowledge that God was there and that God would bring him through now, we're going to go in a little different direction. Uh, there was a lot here today, and, and I'm going to maybe bring up a part of the Scripture that, boy, I tell you, normally I have the Scripture first, and I go through, and, and you know, I read, I look through, I, I pray, I do all of these things, and, and then, you know, we get to some passages that, man, I don't remember reading it like that. And then you get to some passages that some pastors are like, well, we'll just stop here. <laughs> Right? We, we want to address that. We don't want to try to figure that out. We don't want to talk about that. Because how many times have you all heard this passage and read this passage? It's probably quite a few. And for some of you, it's probably a lot more than others, right? You, you've been around. You've, you've, you, we preach the same thing on Easter and leading up to Easter. And you've heard these passages a lot. But if I asked you... After Jesus, when were the first resurrections? When is the, the first resurrections after Jesus going to happen? Now, before we've got some others, we've got Dorcas's, we've got, we've got uh, Lazarus have been raised, but those weren't resurrections. Those were bringing back to life. It was still, human, it was still completely the same thing, that, that they were just brought out of death into theirs, and they would receive that wonderful, wonderful pleasure of dying again. But there's some passages here that I'd love to skip, to be honest. It's a whole lot easier, but I'm not allowed to. That are, I want us to hear and read, 
and allow God to, to work on us. To, I, don't, I don't know exactly. I've got some ideas for us to consider today. But there are difficult passages. But we're not doing our job if we skip over them. If we act like they're not there. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. One of the best illustrations. I love you hear me preach that and bring that in a lot of times. You know, that this torn veil that now we have where God's mercy seat, where his presence was in a different way. We know he's omnipresent, but in in a different way that protected the people from him. That that kind of held off to this temple was the holy place. That this was the mercy seat. This is where where his throne was. But this veil being torn meant so much, so much illustration so much symbology but so much reality for the people that were hearing this this was no longer for just the jews this was for the jew and the gentile that no longer was his presence bound in any way to this place that he was going to unleash and bring about his presence and his spirit about everywhere we even see that even more so at pentecost where the spirit has brought but it is no longer contained that this veil was probably 40, 50 feet high and several inches thick was just ripped because of what was going on on this very day. At the moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. There's some past Old Testament stuff coming about. And the tombs broke open. And tombs broke open. I'm going to say it one more time. And tombs broke open. What are in tombs? We've got some bodies here, right? And tombs broke broke open. And it says here, verse 52, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Anybody remember that scripture? Who doesn't remember reading that part of the scripture? Right? There's a lot of people right here that's like, I've never seen that before. I've never heard that preached. How can we preach every year about Easter and these passages and not pull that part out? Right? There were bodies that were in these tombs that had died, that were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. Because if you first read that, like, oh, that happened at the veil. It didn't really happen at the veil. He's just getting some words put together. But even even Matthew, in writing this, makes sure that the importance that it is after Jesus' resurrection, after his defeat of death, after this it is occurring, that these were brought to life. But it says they came out of the tombs. After Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, if it just said entered into the holy city, you think, oh, they're resurrected. They were taken up. They're talking about the heavenly holy city. Because they appeared to many people, that more so is the holy city was Jerusalem, that they probably went in there too. I don't know exactly. Matthew's the only one that gives us this. But see, we don't want to preach just that this happened, that this was part of this, right? Why would this be important? And that's the part that I was struggling. That's the part that I had to wrestle with. That's part of that. And then you know what I got to, and I hope that I'm right, and we don't, we're not given perfectly, and people think all different kinds of things. There's a whole lot of smart people out there that try to understand and, and give thoughts and, and tell us exactly what this means, and there's lots of different views. But it's here. It happened. So I can only share what I think it can mean. 
but I think I'm called to do that too. I think that because earthquakes can shatter tombs and rocks, right? We believe that. So there's signs are coming. And we see there's some symbology, some Old Testament prophecy, different things coming about. The, the day of the Lord, and, and we're going to see some more. All these things are true, but, but if, if it was just an earthquake that broke open these tombs and did these things, you can write those off as something else. But there is nothing other than the resurrection, the victory over death, and the power of God that can bring people back to life. That yes, the earthquakes broke those open, but God is saying, it's me. I did it. This is something that is happening. This is the day that, guess what? Little people that nobody will remember will be preaching this in thousands of years because it's that important. that people couldn't write it off as anything else. Not only do we have this one Jesus that has been resurrected, but we, I knew them, I knew them. Now, what happens to them? Did they have a second death? I don't know, I don't think so. I think they may have been taken at the same time Jesus. I, I don't know that. I can't give you anything more than speculation, so I don't have to. But they were there. His power was shown. His grace and mercy, forgiveness and life-giving power was shown to the world again. Now it's at that point that we get to the, one of the other people in the story. We get to the centurion. We've, we've kind of highlighted these other people along this journey, right? We've highlighted the thief. We've highlighted Simon. We've highlighted these other people. Now we have today, we have this centurion. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and see it didn't just stop there and all that happened when they saw these things they were terrified and exclaimed what surely he was the son of god now see at the end of the day see this was in the this is a good thing see this is a good thing this is in the middle of the day see that started at noon goes to three it's this dark period jesus has died it's in the middle of the day he has seen these things and we have a centurion can you imagine anybody with a harder heart than a centurion at that point in history imagine what this guy has seen if you want to take a step further, imagine what he has done. This is second nature for him to crucify someone. He didn't hesitate to follow those commands. He had done it many times. And now he is doing this to the very Savior of the world. And in that moment, he recognizes. He understands. He has seen and realized this isn't in any other day. This is a day that changes the world forever. This is something so big that it brings about new life. See, his death breaks open tombs. His death, he will go, and guess what? He'll bring the captives. Maybe these are the captives that we always never understood, really understood that passage either. Maybe these are those that have come out. But we understand that he has done something so great that even the hardest of hearts that has brought so much death, so much pain, 
say, you know what? I need to rethink everything because surely this Son of God, that's a big title. This is one they just mocked him for. This is one they had just put this crown of thorns on his head. This surely is. Can you see how, can you imagine how big his eyes have gotten at this point? <laughs> oh my, I'm in trouble. Of course he was terrified. But the day is not done. The weekend's not done. Because of that death, even that centurion, the hardest of hearts could be softened. We don't know what happened to him. I pray that he saw, recognized, it's not enough to believe. We've said that, we've heard that. It's not enough to believe, but we must repent. We must follow. We must have a change of heart. We must allow and ask him into our lives and into our hearts that he may change us so that we too may rise again. We too may exit the tomb. We may too live with him forever. Surely he was the son of God. The end of the day was not yet there. But make no mistake. See, even though God, I do believe that he can be in the presence, he is not sin, but Jesus who became sin for us took that sin on, was willing to go to the grave, Because, make no mistake, the wages of sin is death. Romans tells us very clearly, the wages of sin is death. That we must believe, we must have a change. We must act upon that in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. But if we do that, we too may have a life everlasting we too may have victory over even death we too can overcome the darkness and the hurt and the pain of this world and there is plenty of it to go around we see that every day he is a good god my god my god why have you forsaken me who has not said that at some point if we're being honest we have felt that but when you get to this point go back to the psalm go back to what jesus went back to and know that he will save he will rescue he will deliver you just as he delivered them from egypt just as he rescued them out of exile just as he has always been there he will always be there and there is no amount of darkness that can overcome the light of the world he is good let us look forward to that easter moment that we've set this up right we've set this up that has gone on the cross he has now given up his spirit given it over in full trust to god and now even jesus waits you too may have to wait but it's worth the wait the day is not over, and he is God, and he is good. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that our hearts just, we don't see an ending to this part of the story. We see only a beginning. So we pray, Lord, no matter our circumstances, 
no matter what our hearts are saying, Lord. And we know that we know that we know when we are honest with ourselves, some days it feels like Jesus. It feels like God. It feels like the Spirit has closed them some off, themselves off in some way to us that they have forsaken us. But if we believe what we say we believe, if we believe these words to be true, if we believe all of these things, you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. We may have turned our face to you. We may have had our hearts hardened, but your glory and your light are still available. You are still near to us that we may draw upon you, that we may need a reminder. But the end of the story has been written. To God be the glory. Lord, we love you this day. And we thank you for all that you've done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. We love you and we praise you this day in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're so happy that you've chosen to listen to our sermon today on the platform of your choice. We at Corey Community Church, the Nazarene, continue to honor our calling to be kingdom people. We rely upon the gift of the fellowship and community to equip each other to fulfill our mission of reflecting the love of Christ to all those that God has placed within our lives. We welcome you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. in Cory, Indiana, just south of State Road 46. God bless.